This morning, I'd like us to go in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about a subject that I mention frequently. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it's a, it's a very, uh, very much related to kind of what we were talking about this morning in the book of Colossians with the walk. And in Ephesians chapter five and in verse one, it says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Again, again, you got to be careful about what you're following. Make sure you know what's in front of you. Make sure you know what is in front of you. All right, I want you to keep that in mind, okay? And he says, and walk in love, just like we were talking about earlier. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself uh, for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. This is something that very clearly we see the Lord doing and giving of himself in such a way and he says, I want you to, you know, I want you to, this is the walk I want you to be in. I want you to keep that mindset of the sacrifice that Christ has done. Okay? That's a mindset of the Christian walk. But we jump down here a little bit uh, further into this. I want you to see in verse 10, he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Our walk should be proving what God accepts. You know what God doesn't accept? He doesn't accept our works for salvation. He doesn't accept pride. He doesn't accept sin. But we were to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. We need to make sure our life is acceptable unto God. Not acceptable to society. Because there's God's standards and then societal standards are somewhere down closer to the floor. Because society has low standards. Kind of like what uh, some of the people in the, the scripture have been described as lewd fellows of the baser sort. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. That kind of describes the world today. But what we do, what we're supposed to be doing as followers of God, walking in love, we're supposed to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. And as we see here uh, through this passage, going down to verse 14, and this is where I want to focus this morning, in verse 14 and verse 15, he says, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Talking about some salvation. Hey, you need to wake up. If you've been saved, you are awake. You're woke. <laughs> I had to go there. I had to go there. It had to. Because you know what? They're always stealing what God gives. People are talking about, well, you're woke when you have all this stuff. No, you're woke when Jesus Christ saves your soul. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now you are alive again in Christ. You're born again. We've got to get that understanding now. But he says, Christ shall give thee light. In verse 15, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Man, Paul hit it right on the nose and he wasn't living in this day and age. I don't know what he would say about that. This day and age, you would be like, oh man, yeah, this is awful. This is awful. But you know, it was awful then. It's awful now. And it's going to be awful until Jesus Christ comes back. So let's just keep that in mind. So what are we supposed to do? We walk circumspectly. And this morning I want to talk about the circumspect perspective, if you will. The circumspect perspective. What does that look like? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to, to be in your word pray, Lord, that you would just uh, speak to us from uh, your scriptures this morning, that we would see very clearly this idea of how we as Christians should walk circumspectly, what that means to us, and Lord, how we accomplish that in a way that is acceptable unto you and pleasing in your sight. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us. I thank you for continuing to show and demonstrate your love towards us. And Lord, I just pray that this morning your Holy Spirit 
would commune with us, speak with us, teach us, and guide us and direct us in your path and your word. And these things I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are taking a look at this passage and again talking about this circumspect walk. Now you know I love the book of Ephesians. I talk about how much I love that book. I love the book of Jonah as well. They're some of my favorite books. Uh, you know, I also love Romans chapter 12. I can't get away with hardly ever mentioning Romans chapter 12, but I'm not going to mention it today other than I just did. But the fact is, is what we, what we, what we see in the book of Ephesians is a good core, uh, if you will, um, description of what the Christian life should be like. We talked about it this morning, talking about how there's the sit, walk, stand, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, demonstration in, in, in the book of Ephesians about where we are in Christ, uh, you know, in him, uh, how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to be doing. And we find it very clear here that he's talking about that walk. He's talking about that walk in this passage. And he says it's supposed to be a circumspect walk. And when we think about circumspectly, that's a word that more than likely you probably haven't ever used in normal, you know, discussions. You probably haven't even used it even in business discussions, unless for some reason you work in a, like a legal world or something of that nature. But circumspectly means that there is a complete understanding of what is going on around us and how we interact with that environment. Something that's circumspect means it's not just a forward-looking, but it's also various different perspectives, and it's not just in a, if you will, flat two-dimensional plane as a circle, but is more spherical in nature, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Because when you think about that, it means that there's stuff that's inside that circumspect perspective, and there's stuff that's outside of that circumspect perspective. How we view the world, how we view things with us, what is it we're supposed to be doing, and how we walk through this world that God has placed us in for his honor, for his glory, and for his praise. So as we think about this a little bit more, I want us to to focus on some of these things, that it's not just this singular focus, but it's multifaceted, if you will. it's a multifaceted approach to our Christian walk. As I said, it's spherical, it's inward, it's outward, and and it's also supposed to be a demonstration. We're going to find this here in just a little bit. You know, there's an obvious perspective. We think about circumspect, the first thing that we're going to think of is the forward. As I mentioned before, who are we following, right? We've got to know what is before us. I want you to turn to a passage of scripture, turn over the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. And we're gonna see a couple of verses here that are gonna kind of relate to one another in this plane of forward and backward. And in verse 13, it's of Philippians chapter three, it says, brethren, I count you not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. This is the forward perspective. I press toward the mark for the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He makes it very clear, Paul saying, I've got a forward-looking perspective. God has set, the, if you will, the mark, the goal, where I am heading, where I am going, what I am to be doing, who I am to be following. All of these things, he says, look, this is what I'm pressing towards. He said, these are the things that are before. I'm reaching forth unto them. I'm reaching forth unto them. So his idea is not just this concept of, well, I need to be moving forward in a progressive manner. No, it's I need to be reaching towards what God wants me to do. I need to be pursuing Jesus Christ. So our forward-looking perspective should always have Christ in view. It should always have Christ in view. If Christ is not in view in the front of us, then we are not on the right path. We're heading down somewhere else. 
So again, talking about what's proving, uh, uh, what is acceptable unto the Lord, talking about what's pleasing unto him, talking about what brings him glory, honor, and praise. All of those things should be at the forefront, should be our forward direction in our Christian life. That's the first part of the circumspect life. Now I just mentioned the stuff that's back, the backward. Now people talk about sliding backwards. People talk about backsliding. There's stuff in scripture that's mentioned about that over and over and over and over again. Now that's not the perspective that we're to have. We're not to be, to be looking back to see him to go back to it. But what we're supposed to be doing is forgetting the things that are behind. Meaning we're well aware of what's behind us. We're just choosing not to think about it. We're just choosing to say, I'm not going to think about that. Now look, Jesus Christ saved you from your sins. If you don't believe Jesus Christ saved you from your sins and you believe that you were perfect, you may have a problem with your, your, your salvation there. But, but I want to be very clear with this. Uh, we were saved from our sins. Now, you may have been saved at a young age. You may have been saved five, six years old, so your sin probably isn't as bad as somebody that got saved as at the age of 50. And when I use that as, say, as bad, sin is sin, okay? But we have a tendency to grade it, don't we? We look at it and we say it's bad. Now, God says there are some things that he hates and there are some things that he calls an abomination. So he has this concept of how he looks at sin. And, you know, again, we have to follow that pattern of how we look at sin. But I will tell you this. The pride of a five-year-old and the lying tongue of a five-year-old is no worse than the lying tongue and the pride of a 50-year-old. Both need salvation. Both need Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you this, we shouldn't spend our time thinking about all of our sins that are behind us. We should be aware that we were saved from it. We should be aware that we shouldn't go back to it but it shouldn't be what we're looking at. We need to keep that stuff back where it needs to be. That's part of the circumspect life. We're moving forward. We're moving away from the sin. Why? Because we're pursuing Christ. The more you pursue Christ, the less the sin is going to be at your back, clawing and wanting to get back in. We forget the things that are behind Because if we spend so much time in the past, we're not moving forward. And this is the one thing that he does. You know, Paul had a lot of sins that he probably just regretted. I mean, he was like actively pursuing people and throwing them in prison and having them killed. He consented unto Stephen's death. He saw a man die in front of him. That's not something that you walk away from very casually. You don't sit there and go, oh, hey, yeah, I saw stoning today. You come home from work as a Pharisee. Your wife says, oh, hey, how was your day? Oh, well, we stoned somebody today. Oh, oh, it was nothing. No problem at all. No, you understand what stoning is. That's a brutal death. That takes a while. That is gruesome. You gotta live with that. You saw it. Maybe you threw the stone when you saw the impact. That's a hard thing to live with. As I've said time and time again, and I'll say it till the day I die. You take somebody's life, you're not going to walk away from that unchanged. That's that's going to have an effect on you. That's going to be in the back of your mind for a long time. you got to live with that. And I'll tell you, there's some things we need to forget. Paul wanted to forget those sins. Why? Because they were forgiven. And he can't spend all that time in the back 
living with the regret, living with all of the shame, living with all those things when he's supposed to be moving forward for Jesus Christ. Do, do we understand the concept your sin is forgiven? It's under the blood. God doesn't see it. Why do we want to see it? Let's move forward. Let's press towards what Christ wants us to press towards. We can sit there and beat ourselves up for it. And you know what? That is a satanic principle. To sit there and focus more on the sin and less on the Savior that forgave us. There's a backward perspective. But we also have in that linear flat plane, not only the forward and the back, but we have the right and the left. And on the right, there's certain things. And on the left, there's certain things. But I will say that the Lord wants us to look at something that's on the right and the left. Not conservatism and liberalism. Not that type of mentality. Let's leave that for the world. Let's see what God wants us looking at on the right hand and on the left. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I love it when I talk about the armor of God. Man, you know, you do that in a junior church. Look, if you ever have a junior church class and you're trying to get them to pay attention, bring props. (laughs) Object lessons. I was teaching, uh, uh, um, uh, what was it? It was, uh, was it fourth, fifth, and sixth grade? Uh, and, uh, that's, that's a fun age to teach. And, uh, they, cause, cause they can kind of pay attention a lot better than the first, second, and third graders. But, uh, the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and, uh, teaching on the armor of God and got to the sword of the spirit. And, uh, of course I had to bring my sword. Now at the time I didn't have a Roman gladius, so I brought my, you know, Japanese katana, which again is a sword in its own right. And, and you bring something like that and immediately the whole class just like snaps to attention. Because when you walk up and you bring out and you pull out a sword, they're just like, whoa. Is that real? Yes, it's real. Is that sharp? Yes. Will it cut me? Yes. Oh. Object lessons, I'm telling you, object lessons. But, but I love talking about the armor of God, but, but, but look at what he describes it here as. The armor of God in, in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 6, and take a look here at, um, verse 7. He says, he says, uh, let's just go back up a little bit here. In verse 4, he says, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, Yeah. Let's just have a little bit of moment of conviction. Much patience in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. That's a lot. But look at what he talks about here in verse 6. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true. He's talking about the stuff he's gone through, but he's also talking about how he got through it. I love this passage because he talks about how he got through it. And you know what it was? It was by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You know what that means? That means that what his hands were doing and what he was occupying himself with on the right and on the left, as he's moving forward for Christ, as he's doing the works that God has asked him to do, he's doing it through the power of God in righteousness of his word. This is how we do things. This is how we get through stuff. This is how we have patience in God with, you know, through the Lord. Patience is tough. Afflictions are tough. Tumults are tough. 
These things are tough. How does he get through it? Well, he talks about by the Holy Ghost and talks about by the word of truth, by the power of God. And he says here, by the armor that God has given us. You know what our right hand and our left hand should be doing? It should be making sure that our breastplate is on tight. It should be making sure that our feet are shod with the gospel of the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Should be making sure that our loins are girt about so that we can stand firm in Jesus Christ and his word and what he has taught us in his path and his way. We should make sure that we've securely gotten the helmet of salvation on. By the way, that requires the right hand and the left hand. Getting that thing on there, buckling it on, make sure it's tight because you don't want it going flying off. You don't want your salvation going, wee. <laughs> Not that you're going to lose it, okay? You understand what I'm saying. But you want to make sure that you're constantly thinking about what God saved you unto. Yes, right. Not always thinking about what God saved you from, but what you were saved unto. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. What you're saved unto. Good works. Righteousness. Get that mindset on. The mind of Christ. But also at the same time, what do we wind up picking up with our right hand and our left? A shield and a sword. We've got both of them. And those things we need to make sure that we have in our life. It's the armor of God. It's righteousness. The sword clearly tells us what is right and what is wrong. The shield, the faith that we, we believe God at His Word and we're willing to, to, to put that out there and to have that, if you will, be the first thing, the first line of defense. He says, right hand and left. So here we are, we are in this plane looking forward to Christ, forgetting the things that are behind and making sure that we're picking up the armor of God and everything that he has for us to do so that we can please him, that we can honor him, that we can prove what is acceptable unto the Lord as we walk in the love that he's given to us. But that's the obvious stuff. That's the obvious things that we see in this plane. It's almost like a plate. It's just, it's flat. But as I said, it's, it's a sphere. There's more to it than just that. Because we also have to have this understanding that we need to be make sure that we understand the perspective of looking up. We're looking up, waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. But we're also looking up to him. You ever have somebody say, who do you look up to? My wife says me. It's a short joke in case you didn't get it. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> but we should be looking up to Christ. He's the example. He's the one that set forth exactly what we're supposed to be doing. He's ascended on high. But, but take a look at what he says over in Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37. Here he is talking to the nation of Israel, talking about some things they've done very, very wrong, talking about things that are going to be corrected and messianic prophecies throughout this book. But Isaiah chapter 37, I want us to jump over there to verse, uh, um, verse 31. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31. And it says, the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. And bear fruit. What's that word? Upward. Bear fruit upward. You know, there are certain things that grow on the ground. Watermelons grow on the ground. They don't don't grow on trees. Could you imagine a watermelon growing on a tree and one of those things falling? Pumpkins. Man. But, you know, we're supposed to be rooted in him. We're also supposed to be growing up as a tree. We're supposed to be growing up, as he talks about in Psalm chapter 1, that's bearing fruit in our season. Sometimes it takes a while for fruit. Sometimes we have seasons for fruit, and sometimes we don't. Seasons of life are very interesting. 
especially when you start taking a look at us bearing fruit. Not every tree bears fruit all the time. The only one that does that we find over there in the book of Revelation. But what we find is we have fruit that we bear in our season. And sometimes our seasons are short. And sometimes they're long. But we're supposed to be bearing fruit upward. Right over here we've got a cherry tree. That cherry tree is going to start bringing forth fruit. Upward. Not down on the ground, but upward. And, and, and this verse, again, has the same situation as the forward and backward that we just saw with the other passage over there in Philippians. But here we're looking at downward and upward. Roots downward, f- fruit upward. We're bearing fruit for people to see. We're bearing fruit for people to pick. The tree doesn't get a benefit from the fruit. The fruit is sacrificial. The fruit is given. The roots go down. So here we are looking at this perspective of, if you will, three-dimensional now. We're moving on a little bit further uh, in this perspective, and we, we see the, the looking of the upward Bearing fruit upward. We need to make sure what type of fruit we're bearing is pleasing unto God. It's proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Is our fruit acceptable to Him? But now here we see this talking about downward. Take root downward. And as I said this morning, we got to make sure that our roots are in Christ. That they're not found anywhere else. That is planted fully in Him. Now, we're not grounded and rooted in something that is poisonous. We, 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 we had this idea last year that we were going to go out there and, and plant some sunflowers. And, uh, <clears throat> we, 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 I really like the sunflowers. They're, they're beautiful. They're, they're gorgeous flowers and, and we want to plant them out there. And we had the kids go out there and do that for vacation Bible school. We thought it would be a cool thing to do. And our neighbors next door even donated money so that we could get flowers over there. Problem is, is that uh, we have stuff that we spray around for weed control. Thank you very much for doing that, Lisa. We always appreciate that. Because weed control around here, I mean, everything grows very rapidly. And, you know, she, you probably saw it the other day. It's kind of got that blue tint to it. Uh, bluish green tint. It's uh, it's a weed stuff to to make sure that we kill the weeds so that we're not overtaken with weeds and you're driving up on weeds. But you know she sprays around it and stuff like that. And we were wondering why in the world are these sunflowers not growing? Because the ground's been <laughs> the ground's been chemically tainted. So now we've got to figure out if we're going to go out there and plant something. We've got to put some planter boxes or some pots or something out there to get those uh, sunflowers and stuff to grow. But I'll, I'll tell you this. you got to make sure that what our roots are are in Jesus Christ. They're not founded in this world. Because if they're founded in this world, we're going to be very disappointed. Why? Because this world's going to burn up. This world's going to pass away with a great noise. We We, we see what God says about that. The things of this earth are temporal, but the things of Christ are eternal. And he says very clearly, we should be bearing fruit, but in order to bear fruit, we got to be rooted first. We've got to be rooted first. We've got to have a very good mindset of what's below us, down. We're looking up, we're looking, up, we're looking down. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But here we are. What we're looking at. Bless my daughter's heart, Abby. If, uh, if my daughter trips and falls a lot. Um, I, I love her, but, you know, she, she has a tendency to, to stumble when she walks. The other day, my, she was mentioning something about needing to repair some shoes, and, 
And my wife asked, are, the, are those the ones you trip in? And, and my daughter's response is, she's like, I've tripped in all my shoes. <laughs> she's just one of those things. And, um, it's, you know, she's, she's fallen downstairs. She's tripped and skinned her knees on, on the sidewalk. I mean, it's just, it's just been bad. Uh, since she's been over there in college in Florida, it's just like the, the, the earth is like out to get her. Um, she, she trips and falls, but I'll tell you this, you know, one of the key things that you always have to make sure you're doing is, is walking where, or looking where your feet are going. Watch where you put your foot. I put my foot in, uh, uh, root holes and fallen and tripped when I was hiking. Uh, I have tripped over roots and vines when I've been running through the forest. Um, you're like, why are you running through the forest now? Ah, we'll get to that later. But, you know, <clears throat> but, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, you got to be careful. You're, you're walking over debris or, 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 you know, rubble or whatever it may be. You got to be careful where you put your foot. You got you to gotta be very careful. Why? Because there's snares out there. There's snares of the devil. He wants to snare you. You know, we're supposed to have armor on our feet. The Romans had an amazing footwear. They even had little knobs and nails on the bottom of it. They look uncomfortable, but I tell you, it's better than walking on bare feet. But they had some pretty amazing shoes that they used for their Roman army. Outfitted them. It's good to have a right pair of shoes. And he talks about how blessed the feet are that bring those good, bring that good news. I'll tell you, you got to make sure you're looking at where your feet are going. Because in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What are you standing in? What are you standing in? There's been times where I was running through a forest one time and I realized that, uh, you know, part of what I was running through was not a forest, but it was actually a swamp. Here I, here I am running and I'm, I'm trying to get from point A to point B and, and, and take an objective and, and I'm running through and I ran right through a swamp. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than a swamp in the middle of the Oregon forest. And you run through it and it just like, and your foot goes down into this muck and mud, and you're like, I'm stuck. Great, now I'm a target. <laughs> and you're out there, and, you know, you, you want to make sure. You want to make sure you're not getting stuck. You want to make sure you're not in the muck and the mire of sin. You want to make sure that you're not going to fall because pride will bring you low. It will drag you right back down to the ground. And you're like, oh, hey, I'm a great Christian. Hey, I'm doing everything for the Lord. Look at me, look at me, and guess what happens? You're flat on your face. Why? Because we thought we were standing in ourselves. We shouldn't want people to look at us because we think we're some great Christian. We should want people to be looking for the Savior. Not a Ken Stewart but the Savior, Jesus Christ. Am I showing him in my life? Well, i got to be careful about where I'm looking, where I'm going. Otherwise, I'm going to be falling. So in this circumspect walk, i got to make sure that I'm looking at down below. But here we are with this sphere, and let's talk about the, if you will, the complete perspective. Because it also involves an inward. When we're talking about the circumspect walk of a Christian, do we ever think about the relationship that we have with the Lord? Part of the circumspect walk is thinking about, what's my relationship like? Turn over to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Part of this walk is going to involve this concept of 
what's my relationship like with God? You know, it talks a lot about uh, that we're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all our soul, all your might, all your mind, all your strength. And it mentions it several different ways. It mentions it about in, in, in about ten different verses in various forms in Scripture. And here's one of them I want you to think about. In Joshua chapter 24, and take a look down here at uh, verse 5, Joshua chapter 22, 5, he says, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. And here, here's this commandment and law. What did God say was the first and great commandment? Love the Lord thy God, right? Look at what he says. To love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, similar to what we saw earlier, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what your relationship should be with the Lord. Because again, I point out that word cleave. You see the word cleave being used in relationships, specifically with a spousal relationship. Over there where Adam's talking about Eve. But the same thing is true with our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Lord. And we should be cleaving unto him more than we cleave unto our spouse. And here he says very clearly, this is what this relationship is supposed to be like. What's this relationship supposed to be like? To love him, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto him and to serve him. And he says specifically, with all your heart and with all your soul. All of you. All of you. If our relationship is a partial relationship and we're only there as acquaintances, that's not a good relationship. Jesus Christ isn't an acquaintance in your life. He's not one of those guys saying, oh yeah, 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 he's my friend. and, And he's really not. This is the Lord we're talking about. In our circumspect walk, if we're going to be redeeming the time the way that he wants us to, and we're going to be walking in love, you know what we're going to be thinking about? We're going to be thinking about what's my relationship with Jesus Christ like? Every step I take. Every step I take in this Christian life. Every moment. Does this exemplify the love of Christ in my life? And there we are looking at this relationship. It's an inward. It's inside that sphere. It's inside that sphere that's going to show outward. The next thing we begin to look at is we look at our inward self. And I want us to go over to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm chapter 139 talks about one of the passages that I always say, have you ever prayed this prayer? Psalm chapter 139. And uh, let's take a look at verse uh, 23. Psalm chapter 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We should be praying that every single step. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. Know my heart. We think we know our hearts, don't we? We go over there to Jeremiah, right? We say, oh, hey, I I know what my heart is. My heart is deceitful and wicked. Desperate, as it says there, right? Desperately. And we say, well, I know my heart. Well, that's not what our heart's supposed to be. If we're asking God to search our heart, we're asking God to search it so we can remove it. So that he can remove it through the power of his word, through the change of of conviction and repentance through the Holy Spirit of God. These are the things that we need to do. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. He's saying, I want you to look at my heart and my mind. I want you to look at my heart and my mind. The things that control us, or at least we think we. But, you know, he says, these are things that are supposed to be pleasing unto him. They're supposed to be for his glory. Every step we take, do we ask God, is this really your heart for me? 
God, am I thinking what you want me to think? You know why a lot of people have issues with anxiety and fear? It's because there is an issue with the thoughts. Those are called mental health issues. Mental being of the mind. And it's generally because we've got the wrong thought on something. And our thoughts originate where? In our heart. So it means we've got a heart problem. Anxiety occurs naturally, okay? The world wants to give you a pill to get rid of it. God wants you to use it for his glory. Use anxiety for glory? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have anxiety every time I get up here. Every time I get up here. And you know what I do? I put it in check. I have anxiety because I'm doing something serious for the Lord. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it with the right heart. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for, uh, you know, for the flesh. I'm not doing it as eye service, as a men pleaser. You know what I'm doing it for? I'm doing it heartily under the Lord. I got to check that every single time. And you know what happens when I check it every single time? That anxiety is used for the glory of God. Or I can just be up here and be a complete stuttering fool and sweating and get, you know, the palms uh, sweaty and all of those things and not be able to do anything that is for the glory of the Lord. I use my anxiety that's there, that fear that's there, for the glory of God, just like every emotion is supposed to be used for the glory of God. So what I do, I say, search me. And try me. Search me and try me. Every single moment of this Christian walk. Let's take a look at another one. That's the inward self. How about the outward? How about the outward towards other people? Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This is mentioned several different ways. It's a quote from Leviticus 19. Uh, Jesus Christ quoted it. Uh, this individual here quoted it in Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> Mark chapter 12. And uh, in verse 32, And the scribe said unto him, said unto Jesus Christ, uh, Well, Master, uh, Mark 12, 32, uh, Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That scribe had an idea of exactly what was important. It wasn't all about the sacrifices. It was all about how we demonstrate that love. Do we love God? And if we love God, we're going to love our neighbors. Leviticus 19 says, hey, you're not supposed to be you know, speaking, and I'm paraphrasing, speaking ill of those that are around you, the, the, you know, the other Israelites and the Jews. He said, you need to love your neighbor. You need to love your neighbor. And you know what? He gives that commandment to the apostles. You need to love one another. John repeats it again over in 1 John. So it shows up there in, in John where he talks about what's said at the Last Supper and then you have um, him repeating the same commandment over there in John, in First John, talking about loving one another. I'll tell you, one of the things that really truly shows and demonstrates your walking in love is that you actually care about the people around you. You know what that means? You're not going to talk ill of them. You're not going to think ill of them. You're not going to disparage them. You're not going to make a stumbling block for them. You're not going to discourage them. You're not going to uh, hurt them purposefully. I understand we say stupid things all the time. So you do? You apologize. You make it right. So all of these things demonstrate the love of God and demonstrate how we love what he loves. He loved the church and he died for it. We should love what he loves. There should be an outward demonstration of that. 
And we also know that it also involves the mind. Here we're talking about the heart. But over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, there's that verse that talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. You know what that means? Every thought. What you think about, does that show Christ? Because what you think about is what you will talk about and is what you will demonstrate. It's a mental issue. We're talking about inside that sphere now. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. But at the same time, everything we do, we need to ask this question. Am I doing it in the spirit? Am I doing it in the flesh? Am I walking in the spirit? Or am I walking in the flesh? And the one key thing that we know is we're supposed to be walking in the spirit. And here we are with this circumspect walk. We need to make sure that our walk is spiritual. Our walk is spiritual. It's not carnal. Man, there's a lot of carnal stuff that we can walk in in this life. There's a lot to entertain us. There is a lot to amuse us. There's a lot that would give us pleasure for a moment. But if the Holy Spirit of God's in us, we should be living a spiritual life, walking in Him. In Romans chapter 8 and in verse 6, I want you to see this here. He says, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. You want to know why a lot of people don't have a lot of peace in their life? Why they're always fretting and worrying and just kind of like just consuming themselves with that? Because they're carnally minded still. They're still thinking about implications and repercussions of the flesh, and they are not thinking in a spiritual mindset. So you know what we have to do? We have to be spiritually minded. We have to be spiritually minded. And we have to understand that we can't please God if we're in the flesh in verse 8, as he says. So you know what that means? If we're going to be walking in this life, we need to make sure that it is spiritually oriented. It is not fleshly oriented. There's a lot of people that walk the journey of life in the flesh. All about the flesh all about themselves, all about that. And I'm talking about some believers that I know. And they claim, and they demonstrate every now and then, some things of Christ. But you see all they care about, flesh, 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 flesh. If we are going to demonstrate anything in this life, it should be, that we are spiritually minded. I'm thinking about what pleases God. I'm thinking about treasures laid up in heaven for him, for his honor, for his glory, for his praise. Not for me, but all for him. Sacrifice. Given. The living sacrifice. There he is. I mentioned it. Romans 12. (laughs) Had to get it in there. Had to get it in there. But we also have to understand that if we're thinking about this life, and I want to close with this. I want to close with this last verse. I know I'm a little over, but First Timothy chapter 6. In this life, you know what you have? You have, a, you have a body of flesh, right? Each one of us here has has flesh attached to us. If you do not have flesh attached to you, you are a spirit. And if you're here and you're a spirit... Please let me know. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's the whole entertaining angels unaware and stuff like that that goes on in Scripture. But I'll tell you this, you know, we've got a body of flesh. And and, and Paul points this out, and I want to make this comparison here. And and, and I don't think it's a stretch. But you know what? We're rich. 
And I'm not talking about because we live in the United States of America. We're rich. What do we do with those riches? In 1 Timothy chapter 6 here, he says in verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come they may lay hold on eternal life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to think about this. Somebody that's got stuff in this world, somebody that's blessed, you know what they need to be using all that physical stuff for? The glory of God. Good works. Rich in good works. Not focusing on the things of this life, but using what God's given us in the flesh to demonstrate how much God cares for us. So as we take a look at this circumspect walk that is in love, proving what is acceptable to God, we find it's more than just, I'm walking forward. It's walking forward. It's remembering what's behind and forgetting what's behind. It's having righteousness on the right and on the left in the armor of God. It's very clearly understanding that we're to be bearing fruit upward because we're grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, it's cognizant of that relationship. Our mental state, our heart, the inward reflection, the inward examination of who we are and what what we love and what we desire. And does it match God and His desires and His will? The circumspect walk for a believer is a lot different than walking in the flesh, which is all pleasure, all sensual, all very much devilish. We have to be careful. If we're believers and we have been awakened unto the light of Christ, this is how we walk. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that these verses that we've seen today would just clearly demonstrate to us that this walk is very important. Every aspect of it, every area, every footstep, every forward movement, Lord, that we are doing this to please you and to prove what is acceptable unto you according to your word and according to what you've given us. I pray, Lord, that we would just keep that mindset that, Lord, our heart would be fixed upon it. That, Lord, we would truly desire to walk the way that you want us to walk because we do have a limited time here on this earth. And, Lord, may we redeem that time to please you, to honor you, and to glorify you. And thank you again for all that you've done for us. And I ask, Lord, you just continue to meet with us, be with us as we sing as we lift up our voices in praise to glorify and worship and honor you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.